The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Jonathan Edwards was born in 1703, died in 1758. He's recognized as a New England minister and missionary, one of the greatest preachers and theologians in American history. He's the one who introduced me to the term half-converted as I have studied and read his writings. At the close of the 17th century, the science of Isaac Newton and the philosophy of John Locke had significantly changed man's view of his relationship to God. Man's natural ability to discover the laws of creation seemed to demonstrate that supernatural revelation was not a necessary prelude to understanding creation or the Creator. God was no longer mysterious. He had endowed men with the power to comprehend his nature and with a free will to choose between good and evil, and so was introduced into the culture, a turning aside. It took time, but a turning aside from the fundamentals of the gospel of Jesus Christ a turning aside from duty and honor, a a freedom to express oneself and to find for oneself one's own way. Now, it was Jonathan Edwards' genius that he could take the writings of Locke and the philosophy of Newton and he could reinterpret man's relationship to God in such a way that the experience of supernatural grace became available to people living in an intellectual, cultural climate very different from that of 17th century England. Now, his genius under the power of the Spirit, and let's be clear, this was not out of Jonathan Edwards, He would spend 18 hours a day in his study, not socializing, praying and reading the scriptures and crying out for understanding. And it was out of this experience in the prayer closet, in the reading of scripture, that God gave him an understanding that transformed America. Now he came to the richest aspect of American Puritanism. That is, the individual heart experience of a spiritual life, an inner glow, an emotional rebirth. Now, at that time in America, everything was very, very orthodox in religion. Sermons were dry often read, and they were argumentative. 
they dealt with the plain, straight, orthodox truth. There was no inner personal experience of that truth. It was cold and hard. I came at, in a way, the end of that kind of theology when I went off to, to seminary in the, in the late 60s, 1967, I arrived at seminary, and there orthodoxy was being cast out, and now it was all about the inner experience, except it was not the inner experience of Jesus. It was the inner experience of relationships. And now everything had to be cast in terms of relational theology, feel-good theology. And so you see popular preachers today preaching feel-good strategies, strategies for success. The smiling preacher of Texas, I'm sick unto death of seeing his face on new books as he preaches a false gospel. We're going to be talking about this half-converted state. What is a half-converted state? Let me, let me try to share that with you today. It is the condition of the American church, and it is taking us to hell in spite of our bold proclamations. I have Jesus, and I'm on my way to heaven. Are you sure? Well, the Bible says right here, I have this, and I this, and, and I'm saved. Don't believe it. There's much more to this than some cheap, shallow claim that I have Jesus. Let me share some of what happened in the background of half-converted, and then I will come specifically to the issue of what is a half-converted person and how do we break its power over our lives and what must happen in America if we're going to again find the moral value of our nation that has been utterly destroyed by the vileness of everything from Star Wars to the Redskins. Just some background that we need to share quickly on Jonathan Edwards. He was born in East Windsor, Connecticut. His father was a pastor, and his grandfather was a pastor pastor in Northampton, Massachusetts. Jonathan was only a boy in the family. He had ten sisters. He graduated from Yale College in 1720, staying on there as a theology student until 1722. He was not quite 19 years of age when he was called as a minister to a church in New York. Edward served there for eight months, and in 1723 he was called to a church in Connecticut but instead he decided to try teaching. He taught at Yale from 1724 to 1726. At a very early age, Edwards 
showed a real talent for science, and at Yale he studied Newton's new science, and he read Locke with more interest than most greedy misers would with a handful of silver and gold. He was very, very concerned and very interested in these new philosophies that were beginning to flow into the culture. During these years, he also began to record in his his diary the meditations of his heart on the Bible and his observations of the natural world. Now, Jonathan Edwards' central purpose was not to become a scientist, but to lead a life of intense holiness. Now, that reminds me of another man who was shortly to come on the scene by the name of John Wesley, who also established while in college an organization, a a casual organization in one sense, not a formal one, but it was the Holy Club. It was men who vowed together to walk in holiness. Now, Edward's personal narrative written in 1740 in his letters and diaries, show a young man whose religious experience was of great power and beauty. It was his whole life. And Edwards tells the story of after several seasons of awakening, quote, unquote, at the age of 17, he had a profound religious experience in which there came into his mind, he said, something so sweet. It was a sense of the glorious majesty and grace of God. He said, I don't know how to express it. I seem to see them both in sweet conjunction, majesty and meekness joined together. It was a a sweet and gentle and holy majesty and also a majestic meekness, an awful sweetness, a high and, and a great and holy gentleness. Now, adapting Locke's philosophy to his own purposes, Edwards interpreted the, quote, sweet, unquote, sense of God's majesty and grace as a sixth and new sense created supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. He would write later in A Treatise of Religious Affection, 1746, the new sense is not a new facility of understanding, but it is a new foundation laid in the nature of the soul for a new kind of experience of the same faculty of understanding. Now again, I want to talk about this experience coincides with the experience that John Wesley would have later when he said his heart was strangely warmed. All of his life he had focused on holiness. And now there was a strange warmth that came into his heart, came through the testimony of the Moravian brothers. Now, in 1726, Jonathan Edwards was called from Yale to the Northampton Church 
to assist his grandfather. When his grandfather died in 1729, Edwards became pastor of the church. And then in 1727, he married a beautiful and remarkable woman. Now, religious revivals had been spreading throughout New England for a hundred years. If you recognize, God was preparing the soil that would cause the revolution in America to be dramatically different than the revolution that was occurring in France. In the French Revolution, it was utterly ungodly, it was wicked, it was merciless, and every unclean thing was lifted up as something of value. In the American Revolution, something dramatically different happened. Freedom was lifted up, honor and duty, independence, self-reliance, and an absolute trust in the Almighty God. America was not founded as a pagan nation. America was founded as a godly nation, one based on the Christian faith. Now, the modern historians want to lie about this, and they want to make everything in government religious neutral. That is simply unacceptable. Justice Scalia, just on Saturday of last week, spoke to a Catholic group, and there he said that that this government neutrality toward religion was foolishness, that it did not represent the true heart of America. Now, I'm not going to quote him exactly, but paraphrasing, he was clear that America and the American government should not in any manner try to drive religion from the public square, that instead, The reason America has been so great is because it has depended upon God. There must be a return to that absolute dependence upon God. The Lord God of heaven was beginning to shape and create the revival, the third great awakening, that would be the foundation for the American Revolution that would cause us to not be a nation given to wickedness and vileness, but rather a nation given to righteousness. And the pulpits of America would begin to burn with holiness, with righteousness. And the American pulpits must once more begin to burn if America is to be saved from its own wickedness and the wickedness of its leadership, from the president to the Congress to the Supreme Court, there must be a full-scale sweep of vile wickedness out of our government. That will not happen until the people of America have experienced a brand-new, powerful, mighty, Revival of righteousness. 
we are right now on the course for utter destruction, both in our finances, in our government. We are turning aside from the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and we are becoming a secular nation. And this nation cannot survive as a secular nation because America freedom is built on honor. And there is no honor in a secular government. There is no honor when God is cast out of the public square. Government is a reflection of the people it serves. We are facing a great crisis of confidence in America. We must begin to pray for an awakening. Now, these religious revivals had been spreading through New England for a hundred years. Edwards had seen these awakenings. He'd seen them in his father's congregation. He'd also seen them in his grandfather's congregation in Northampton. This was a very prestigious congregation. In New England congregationalism, church membership had been open only to those who could give a public profession of their experience of grace. But there was what was called the Halfway Covenant of 1662, which modified this policy. And when Edward's grandfather allowed all to partake of the sacraments, including those who could not give profession of conversion, he greatly increased the number of his congregation but he began to break the back of true Christian faith in Jesus Christ. Edward's first revival took place in 1734. It began as a prayer meeting among the young in Northampton. This revival soon spread to other towns, and Edward's reputation as a preacher of extraordinary power grew. Standing before his congregation in his ministerial robe, he was an imposing figure, six feet tall with a high forehead and intense eyes. A contemporary wrote that Edwards had the power of presenting an important truth before an audience with overwhelming weight of argument and with such intenseness of feeling that the whole soul of the speaker is thrown into every part of the conception and delivery. Now, Edwards endeavored to convey as directly as possible the meaning of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. His words, he hoped, would lead his listeners to a conviction of their sinful state and through the infusion of divine grace to a profound experience of joy and freedom and beauty. Now, Edwards' preaching and writing about the nature and process of the religious experience created powerful enemies. In western Massachusetts, the opposition of Edwards was led by relatives 
who maintained that a man's assurance of salvation did not lie in a direct and overpowering experience of the infusion of grace, but instead the orthodox teachings of the church and the rigorous obedience to that orthodoxy. But Edwards denied this, and he said that a man in a state of salvation was lost if he believed that all he had to do was obey the good works without the experience of grace. He said it was grace that brought freedom and joy. And so there was a very clear division in the church. The church taught absolute obedience to the word of God. And now in accord with that absolute obedience to God, Jonathan Edwards wanted to bring the infusion of grace that would bring absolute conviction of forgiveness and oneness with God. He wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, in 1740, the arrival in America of George Whitfield, the famous English revivalist, touched off the Great Awakening. Revival swept through the colonies. Thousands of people experienced the infusion of grace. The emotional intensity of the revival soon brought attacks from ministers who believed that Whitfield and Edwards and other evangelical preachers were stirring up religious fanaticism. Edwards, of course, defended the Great Awakening in several books. He acknowledged that, yes, there probably had been emotional excesses, but on the whole he believed that revivals were remarkable outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Now, as the Great Awakening intensified, Edwards' expectations of Christ's kingdom also grew. The troubles that culminated in Edwards' dismissal from Northampton began in the 1740s. Considerable opposition to Edwards had had reminded him that he did have enemies, and that the animosity was growing between him and members of his congregation. There was an embarrassing salary dispute, and then Edwards discovered that some children had been secretly reading a book on midwifery. Children of influential families were implicated, It was obvious there was sexual immorality that was beginning to grow in his church. And he named these people from the pulpit and called them to account. But what really caused his dismissal was his decision announced in 1748 that henceforth only those who publicly professed their conversion experience would be admitted to the Lord's table. His decision reversed his grandfather's policy of allowing half-converted people into the church. Now, Edwards himself had been following for 20 years this 
opening of the church to the half-converted. That meant that half-converted people, people who simply came to church, who did not have a, a testimony of the Holy Spirit, who did not have the inner light, these people were allowed to come in and have Christian weddings and Christian burials. They were allowed to come and held communion. And Edwards announced that he was denying this privilege. There was a bitter struggle. The church voted 200 to 23 against Edwards. And on July 1, 1750, he preached his farewell sermon. Now, this was after he had preached Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God that had added great fuel to the fires of revival in New England. He went from that position to teaching, tutoring Indian, American Indian children from the Bible and then he was later invited to come as the president of Princeton University. This issue of being half-converted we must come to terms with. But today it is much different. For today the church has cast out orthodoxy. We have cast out our expectation of holiness and instead have focused all of our attention on emotional happiness and on strategies for success. Yes, there are still some churches who hold to the church calendar and go through rituals, but for the most part, the churches have utterly departed in America from both of these foundation stones, Edwards taught that there was a person only half converted if he simply chose to live a moral and holy life and had no inner testimony of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to add to that intense focus on righteous living he wanted to add to that the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and the joy and the peace and the life that flows in the, in the life of a person who is utterly given over to Jesus, who has cut off everything of the world and finds now his emotional, his spiritual, his physical well-being in living a godly life renouncing evil, turning from everything of the world, from the fashion of the world, from the entertainment of the world, from everything of the world being separated out. This is what Jonathan Edwards taught was necessary, and this is what the early teachers of the church in the 1600s, the, the Puritans, taught. Jonathan Edwards coming into the Great Awakening was called by the Holy Spirit to allow the full infusion of Jesus into their hearts and into their lives so that now it was no longer cold and formal. It was now blessed with the inner light of Jesus and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You understand, today the church doesn't know anything about either one of these. 
And so the very foundation of the gospel has been utterly lost today in the American church. So today we're filled as a business. Pastors are considered CEOs. Entrepreneurial pastors are starting churches on every street corner, and they see it as a business, the business of saving souls. What are they saving souls to, and what are they saving souls from? Well, Jonathan Edwards would say we're saving souls from sin. And what are they saving them to? Jonathan Edwards would answer, we're saving souls into the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the inner warmth of knowing personally Jesus Christ. Both of these have been utterly perverted and cast out in the modern church, and so America is crashing. Let me turn quickly to read for you something that I found today. I have a a favorite web page that I go to for business news. Uh, some of you may be acquainted with it. It's www.zerohedge.com. Let me read this for you. The reckless herd has been in control for the last few years. He's talking here about the bankers and about the corporations that have come together with the Federal Reserve and have totally manipulated the American financial markets. He's also talking about what's happened in our government with our president and Congress going along with this and not standing up for what is morally right. He's talking also about the Supreme Court that has abdicated its position of righteousness and has gone along with the vile culture of America. He says the reckless herd has been in control for the last few years, but their recklessness is going to get them slaughtered. Corporate profits are plunging. Labor participation continues to fall. A global recession is in progress. The strong U.S. dollar is crushing exports and profits of international corporations. Real household income remains stagnant, while health care, rent, home prices, education, and a myriad of other daily living expenses relentlessly rises. The world is a powder keg with tensions rising even higher in the Middle East. Ukraine, Europe, and China The lessons of history scream for caution at this moment in time. But recklessness, not recklessness, 2016 will be a year of reckoning for the reckless herd. He's right. This was a piece submitted by Tyler Duden, 1-4-2016. We are headed for a slaughter. And there must come an absolute revival. The half-converted must be cast off. Can we even change that and be more realistic? The not-converted that fill today's churches with their simple little beliefs 
that are not biblical, that they are saved and on their way to heaven, and that they can continue walking in their sin, and they don't need to be righteous before a holy God, and they can lift up their favorite football team, and they can fill their life with all the foolishness of the internet. They can soak in the Kardashians. They can drink in the darkness of our culture. And anything goes, and now we just want to make money, find a way to improve our lifestyle. All of this utter wickedness that has flowed into the American life stream. And then the tyranny of having the Constitution cast out. Our our Pope coming with bold proclamations that Jewish people do not need to accept Jesus in order to be saved. And then saying, pagans and atheists do not need to receive Jesus to be saved. They can be saved if they just obey their conscience. Really? And Christians now, they can be saved just because they say, I accept Jesus as my Savior. They can continue to live their ungodly life. We've been deceived. We've been utterly deceived into believing this half-converted doctrine that is no conversion at all. But there is a, a wonderful, wonderful secret understanding that Jonathan Edwards brought to us that is so precious to my heart. John Wesley also brought it. Whitfield, George Whitfield also brought it. It was these men who shook and shaped America. It was this man, John Wesley, who rode from one end of the country to the other, opening these churches. It was these men of God who sold out to Jesus. Where are those men and women today? Where is the cry confronting the wickedness of our nation? Where are the John the Baptist who will speak to the Herods of our culture and say, you are sinning by what you are doing? Where are the, where are the John the Baptist? Where are the Whitfields? Where are the, the Wesleys who will cry out to power? You are abusing your position and you are destroying America. Tell me. How can the Supreme Court of the United States be so filled with wickedness that it thinks that it has the power to change the definition of marriage? Oh, Pastor, forget it. It's over. The fight is over. No, the fight has just begun for America, for the soul of America. We're not going to win this war with guns. This war has to be fought in the prayer closet. This war has to be fought in sharing the gospel with men and women who will turn and repent. It has to be fought person by person. How can the Supreme Court be so ugly as to believe it has the power to redefine marriage and say that marriage is not between a man and a woman, that Steve and John can get married? 
Where is that in our Constitution? It's not there. They're making up their own laws filled with vile wickedness. How is it possible that we could redefine what God created? If the Supreme Court had created marriage, I will grant they have the power to redefine it. If the United States government has the power to create marriage, they have the power to redefine it. But they didn't create marriage. God created marriage. And so the outpouring of vile wickedness continues in America. We're not even half converted in America today. Now let me speak to those of you who say you are Christian. Over 200 million Americans believe that Jesus Christ was God. Over 200 million Americans believe that Jesus came and died on the cross. What if those 200 million American Christians would turn their hearts back to God and away from the wickedness of our day and begin to experience the cleansing power of Jesus Christ, who would begin to understand the solemnity of holiness and of righteousness and recognize the justice of God that is about to fall on this nation. If it does not, God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. What if these 200 million, what if you, Christian, would make a determination in your heart that you will return to the Almighty God and not to the lies of the modern church? What if you preachers who listen to this broadcast would begin to preach a fiery gospel of righteousness? Oh, I know, I've been called a hellfire brimstone preacher. Well, I want to tell you, when the preachers were preaching hellfire and brimstone, there was not a fraction of the sin and wickedness and the vileness we find in America today. It's time for America, for Christians, for you who call yourself a Christian, to get serious about this Bible and about holiness and about righteousness, to obey your conscience, to turn away from the wickedness of our day, to turn away from the television and the, and the movies and the, and the plays and the foolishness, to turn away from the entertainment and recognize that the hand of God is going to fall on this nation if we don't repent. And the second part is to repent and to pray until our hearts are warmed. The mercy and majesty of God is plainly residing in our hearts. That the joyous declaration of victory is made in our spirit that we are done with the world and the wickedness of the world 
and we won't participate in it anymore. Drinking and the drugging and the cursing, and the lying and the cheating and the fornication. It's over. It's done. If we would come to a clear understanding that Jesus is calling us to walk holy before him as a nation, as an individual, as a Christian. And we would be filled with the warmth and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This nation could be saved. No power could withstand 200 million people walking holy before God, cleansed in the power of the blood of Jesus, determined that we will repent of our sin and turn back and leave aside the sentimental slop of this world. What I'm describing today is just being converted, being transformed, being changed into the image of If not now, when? Will you wait until persecution breaks out in America? Will you wait until Christians are banned in America? Will you wait until the invasion of Islam is completed in America? You know, I have to tell you how I look at this invasion of Islam into America with illegal immigration being practiced by our government. You know how I look at it? We would not in freedom go and witness in their land, in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. Now the Lord is bringing them to America where we can tell them and witness to them about Jesus Christ and bring them into the kingdom of the Lord God and break the power of the lies of Islam over their heart. They do not worship the same God, Jesus Christ, or God the Father. They worship a God called Allah, who was a Mesopotamia, Luciferian God. Just look at the fruit born in ISIS, in the Islamic beliefs, And you will see that this is not the Lord God of heaven whose heart is filled with love and compassion for his people. I want to be very clear with you. America is at a crisis point. I could go to the Drudge Report and read the headlines. It is the most popular news site in America, drudgereport.com. Or I could go to many other websites, and I could read for you the headlines, and they would be terrifying. The Middle East is on fire. Why? Because America has abdicated our leadership role and have taken very foolish decisions and acted in ways that were utterly wicked and utterly destructive. And so we have destroyed Syria, we have destroyed Afghanistan, we have destroyed Iraq, 
We have destroyed other nations, and we have created, through President Obama, ISIS. We have funded ISIS. We have created this monster for our own political ends. that the Middle East is on fire. And America ignited the fire. And now thousands, millions of people have lost their homes, lost their lives, and are refugees. I pray God will give America the grace and the courage to embrace these lost and wandering people and bring to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before we can do that, American Christians have to be transformed. And there has to be a return to an absolute commitment to inward and outward holiness. And the casual Christian church of today must be utterly eviscerated and disappeared. It must be cast down for what it is. We must become a new people. We must be a people filled first with holiness, And secondly, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit with such sweetness of heart, such strength of conviction that we'll no longer put up with a government or institutions. We'll no longer put up with vile wickedness. We will call it for what it is, both in the public square, in our private homes, Enough is enough. Enough is enough. I spoke with a woman this morning. She's probably in her 50s. A precious woman. A woman I've gotten acquainted with over a period of time. She said to me this morning, my New Year's resolution is that I will stop smoking. I said, when will you stop smoking? She said, when I finish the pack that I now have. I said, wait a minute, no. Why do you need to finish the pack? She said, because I spent money on it. I said, my my dear sister, please let me buy that pack of cigarettes from you. I will pay the full price that you paid for that pack of cigarettes. I think it was $6.50. She said, oh, no, I couldn't let you do that. I said, why? I said, you really don't intend to stop smoking, do you? She said, you've uncovered me. You know that if I sell you this package of cigarettes, then I really do have to stop. But you see, I can smoke these cigarettes, and when I'm finished with them, I'll say, now that's all I'm going to smoke. 
and then I'll be driving past and I'll stop and buy another package of cigarettes. And then I'll say, I'm going to stop smoking after I finish this pack. And then another year is going to go by and I'll still be smoking, won't I, Pastor? I said, yes. I said, that's the story of the American church. Do you know that there is a power in heaven that can set us free from every bondage and release us from every captivity? And this wonderful power of God comes with the decision that I will live a holy and righteous life and I will be filled by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and I will remain before him until this takes place, and I am utterly transformed and changed into a new person. Now, I don't know where our time went today. I had so much I was going to cover, and our time is gone. I'm getting the signal we have five minutes left in the broadcast. All this week, we're going to talk about being half-converted or not converted at all. I'm going to walk you through some historical material. I'm going to talk about some of the conditions that are existent in America today. And I'm going to ask you this week to make a decision. First, that you will pursue holiness with all of your heart. And secondly, that you will cry out for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the blood of Jesus to bear upon your life and begin to supernaturally break every covenant you've made with darkness. If it's cigarette smoking to break you free, if it's fornication to set you free, if it's adultery to set you free, to call you to repent, to call you to be converted to Jesus Christ, not in word, but in deed and in the inner dwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to call you this week to give up your cultural Christianity and become a true follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about what that will look like. Now, as we start this new year, I praise God that the radio broadcast for last month was paid for in full. I brought a check today, the first day of the new year, for broadcast. Paid the radio bill. I thank each one of you who cares enough about America, cares enough about this broadcast, who wants this broadcast to go FM and national. I'm asking you, will you step forward and help us? You can mail your tithe or your offering to the National Prayer Chapel at Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, 
Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I dedicate this year to a revival of true godliness, of conversion, of holiness, of indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. If this is your cry, stand with me. Almighty God, I pray for every person listening to this broadcast today. I pray that your Holy Spirit will go out now over this city, over this metro area, and that you will convict your people and turn their hearts toward you, that a full conversion could take place, that the lies of the false teaching could be cast down that true godliness would begin to be raised up, that holiness would begin to be raised up in the life of each person listening, and that they would pray and ask for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you. I worship and I praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. Share it with a friend. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find lots of changes. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory.